Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Ilya with the Spectrum Strategy Group, and today I am here with Eva Mendez, and I'm very excited to be chatting uh, with her. Uh, she and I have worked together for a, a while, actually. We we knew each other. Oh, I'm guessing back in 2012, something like that. So, um, and we've worked together. Uh, you know, uh, Eva's area uh, is working with adults um, primarily and also specifically couples um, and relationship. So uh, I wanted to bring you on to kind of chat a little bit about that because we had a neurodiverse couple on um, a couple episodes back. But before we get into that, um, Eva, if you'd like to introduce yourself and give people a little bit of background, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. so yeah, I am a you know um, autism spectrum, um, also Asperger's. I guess is still floating around uh, <laughs> in light of recent Asper- events. Yes, <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, so specialist, uh, and I do, and like Ilya said, I do work primarily with. Um, adults and couples where one person or both might be on the autism spectrum and that's exclusively what I do I exclusively work with the autism spectrum so I don't see uh, I mean sometimes I'll see somebody with ADHD but I feel like that's sort of like within the neurodiverse universe as well Uh, so over the years I've worked with you know I feel like hundreds of couples and individuals and families um uh, with these uh, neurodiverse profiles. And I used to also lead support groups and stuff uh, when I was working with Ilya. Uh, but, you know, now I have a private practice and uh, where I see, you know, uh, people for also evaluations and diagnosis. And I see a fair number of uh, women on the spectrum. And also the LGBTQ folks, because my second book was on that, and also, you know, couples. So that's um, kind of what I do. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, so the books that you have, I think you have another one coming soon too, right? Yeah. I'm working on my third one. Um, It's not really super public that I'm working on it because I'm still kind of (laughs) They're wrapping up the interviews, you know, uh, but the first one is called, and all of these are available on Amazon and stuff, you know, or you can get them from your library. So uh, the first one is marriage and lasting relationships with Asperger's syndrome or autism spectrum. And uh, it, the subtitle is successful strategies for couples or counselors. So if you are in a neurodiverse relationship or are uh 
counselor therapist working with uh, couples, I think this is a good resource. And then my second book is Gender Identity, uh, Sexuality, and Autism. And um, that's, uh, you know, uh, voices from across the spectrum, basically. And that one, we did like 19 interviews with, you know, parents, partners, and individuals themselves who identified as being LGBT and autistic. And that's a great resource if you yourself uh, identify or are questioning about the LGBT and autism, uh, or um, you want to, you know, inform a family member or something like that, you can ask them my book. Yeah. Great, great. Yeah, we've had, um, I've had a couple of guests talk about that same topic, and we've kind of touched on different points. So that's, uh, that would be a great additional resource. So I like the title of the subtitle of your first book there with, you know, providing strategies. And I know, um, when I've worked with you before, you, you were working with another therapist as well, who were really kind of digging your heels into this particular area. Um, and, and there's not many people that really specialize in this area. Um, and I just was always fascinated by how, um, you know, what the, what strategies you were offering and the different tools you were, you know, uh, coming up with for your clients. And so, um, I really would love to, well, first I'm curious, what, why this particular area? Why not, right? Like there's so, I guess there's so many areas to choose from. Why this particular, you know, why this particular interest? Well, I mean, it is close to home, I suppose. I, th I grew up in a neurodiverse family. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, I don't want to out family members without their <laughs> sure. permission and things like that. <laughs> but I want to say, like, a lot of both sides of my family, my mom and my dad, I think there's a very heavy strain of autism. Uh, but also because of that, I think it was kind of like exciting in a way growing up because, you know, as we all know, people on the spectrum when you're diverse folks are uh, just the most intelligent, the most inspiring, the most like so strong and fierce and intellectual and uh, high achieving and, you know, want to fight for social justice, you know. So now I think growing up, I felt like I think it was a bit of a struggle. But now that I look back, I'm like, so grateful and so proud of the fact that I grew up in uh, this neurodiverse family, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it has its it has its own um it has its own flavor and not many people are familiar with it. And I think uh, you know, we joke in our family that sometimes we forget that it that other people don't have the same experience, right? So we we come to things in a different way with different approaches. And um, but I think that's part of the beauty and part of why, you know, I like to have people like yourself on so we can kind of shed some light. Uh, and for those, especially my audience is all over. Um, not everyone sees, you know, themselves um, and their experience reflected in maybe their immediate community or their environment. So um, they can know that there are, there are other people, uh, you know, us out there that are having a similar experience or at least um, pieces of that and, and that they, um, that they're not alone. So, so I could see why, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm doing this, so I guess that's, <laughs> that's why we do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so let's talk so about some of those strategies that um, 
that you suggest. Uh, you know, I'm curious when, do, you know, do you work only with couples or do you work with individuals as well? Or, you know, how do so I work with work? individuals as well? A lot of my individuals are younger adults, you know, um, when I do a lot of diagnosis, it's a lot of um, females on the spectrum who maybe were overlooked or been uh, passed on or t- like told that they have some other diagnosis, you know, and they couldn't possibly be on the autism spectrum. But then, as we know, um, autistic folks, they love research. And so they themselves dig in and read the books and then they write to me and they're like, I think this is me and they're like just desperate to be heard, you know? So that's part of my practice too. And then I would say like maybe 60% or 65 or 70 even is couples. So a lot, I do a lot of couples work. Um, And there are a lot of, you know, so there are couples from all walks of life and even including LGBT couples and things like that. Um, So, yeah. So what's usually the... um the catalyst for someone coming, right? So it's, I mean, I always think it's, it's a very brave uh, endeavor to say, you know what, I think we need to see someone, maybe we need to get some help or something, right? Like it takes a, a big, uh, a big piece of courage to be able to do that. Um, but I, again, often working with, um, you know, our, our, autistic folks, sometimes there's more transparency there, right? So sometimes it might just be like, hey, no, this is cool. Why don't we just, why don't we just go see someone and maybe we could get some help. So I'm curious, what do, what do people come for? Like, what is the usual, you know, the entry, like walking into the door, what brought them there? Cause I know for me, when I, when I started therapy, what brings you in the door is not necessarily right. What keeps you coming back? <laughs> it's something else, right? So, so I'm curious, what's that initial entry for you know, many of the folks you're working with? So I think for individuals, it is different. Like I tend to have a lot of like young women who come to me because they're just sort of trying to get launched into life or uh, start their college experience and realize, well, it's not what quite they expected or it's not going according to plan or they need to change colleges. That I think tends to be quite common, you know. Um, I think for couples, it's a little bit different. Um, I think a lot of times it's the non-spectrum partner who's like, okay, things are not going well here, you know, because the spectrum partner usually, um, they pick the, the, the person for them and then they're like, okay, we're in it and that's it. And, and they don't think that there's work to be done or whatever, not always, but usually, or they don't notice that there's work to be done, you know, which is true for all of us, I think, well, if you're in any kind of relationship anyway. Um, so I think oftentimes they come to me when things, uh, when they're just running into the same problems over and over and they're hitting a wall. And maybe they've also um, tried individual work before. So then they understand or they have a positive um, feeling towards a therapist, you know. Um, and I think oftentimes the, if it's a, a, a male, right, an Aspie male, like uh, they might be like, oh, you're going to just blame me or just tell me that I'm wrong or whatever. That's more the stereotype. But that's not true because it's, you know, it's both people. So oftentimes, yeah, I think it is the the spouses that, that bring them in, you know. 
um, hopefully most of them, the ones that I feel like are able to make uh, headway, come in before it's too late. Because there are those who come in when it's a little too late too. I mean, usually those are few and far between, thankfully. But then sometimes when there's trust that's broken down so much or there's so much bad blood, then it is hard to build back up. But it's better to, I think I would recommend for everyone, even if you feel like it's a, not a big deal or it's minor, it's uh, it's better to treat it when it's minor, just like any other problem you know right right yeah yeah i I think we tend to in in all sorts of ways right we wait until um the issues are so challenging or you know our health or whatever that might be Mm -hmm. and then it's sort of it takes a lot more effort to kind of right bring things back to um like a place of balance uh or you know we we don't want to get to the point where there's not much we can do anymore and like you said i would hope that that's not often the case and that, you know, usually we can kind of bring things back, um, regardless. So, so yeah. So what are some of the, um, so let's, let's just, I like to think of it more like in a case scenario kind of thing. What, what are some of the common areas where you see people have challenges, um, in a relationship or in, you know, in relationship? Oftentimes it's sort of the emotional sort of regulation of the person on the spectrum. Because, you know, they can be like very sensitive to certain triggers in their environment or they're going through a stressful time at work or they're worried about finances or whatever it is, you know, and then they get triggered and then sometimes um, they can have these meltdowns or sort of um, really talking in a harsh tone or something like that, not because they're mean or bad or anything like that it's just that they're very highly logically driven so then they have a hard time taking perspective that and like an another way of thinking is just as valid so they just kind of um go down their negative rabbit hole like one of my clients said you know and just um, hone in on that and just kind of go on this negative tangent and loop, you know, which can be exhausting, I think, for the other partners. So that's one of them. So I think for me, like, I recommend mindfulness meditation strategies or uh, really building awareness around that or sometimes having even a code word to bring attention to that, you know, and also informing the partner on the spectrum that just because you have uh, this person that's your significant other, you can't just be uh, talking to them 24-7 about your about the problems of the world or, or whatever it is because that's going to exhaust somebody. So, you know, find an individual therapist or a friend or, or someone um, and also learn when to turn it off because it can't be like this constant barrage of, you know, information. So, yeah, so communication is probably uh, a big thing. Sometimes a lot of it is also around like uh, the work-life balance and balance around uh, spending time with their partner. 
because sometimes they'll have their sort of extracurricular special interest that's outside of work, then work also is a special interest. So sometimes then they can spend like just ungodly amounts of time um, just being a workaholic at work and then needing their self-care and exercise and then doing their special interest to unwind. And that leaves very little time for the partner and the family. So I think, um, you know, it's important to talk about these things and say, okay, let's plan it out, let's schedule it. But sometimes the non-spectrum partner, uh, it's really funny how the two opposites always come together. You know, they're like, oh, I want to be spontaneous. I want to just, you know, have you ask me out spontaneously or spend time together. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know if that's going to work. Like, <laughs> you're better off, like, planning and putting it on the calendar, you know. Uh, and, and then I heard Esther Peril, uh, the, the other, the couples counselor that's very famous that everyone knows of, like she, I heard her once say, like, I think it's good to even schedule sex and stuff. Cause in a long-term relationship, you just have to, there's no, nothing to be ashamed of or whatever. Um, so then I thought, okay, we're, we're on the right track here because <laughs> I've been saying that before I heard her say that. Not, not, I mean, I'm, she was probably saying that too, but you know. Yeah. So let's go into a couple of those things a little bit, because I think um, I think all of us come to relationships with a preconceived notion, right, with an idea that was either modeled for us as, um, you know, in our own families or we see uh, we, we're like, OK, maybe my family's a little different than others. So let me see what's out, you know, what what is on TV or what are what do I, am I reading about in books or what do I see with my, you know, my friends at school? What are their, you know, families like? And then we take we kind of carry some of that with us. And I think when we talk about you know, setting up structures around, let's say, spontaneity or scheduling time to be with your partner or scheduling sex. I think a lot of people think of that and say, oh, well, that just doesn't sound, that's just not normal, right? Like I'll put that in quotes because I, but then again, what's normal? Like, I, you know, I think, and I have heard, um, you know, I think Isabella, uh, Isabel Hanot also talks about some of those same things. And I think they can be some really good strategies because I think first I think it clarifies expectations on both sides um, and it sort of makes certain things less scary for people right and and I don't yeah, know and it gives the person on the spectrum um, you know time to prepare and plan so that way you know because that way they can plan ahead and be like okay hey I have date night with my wife tonight so you know what? I'm going to end early, and that and that we talk. We literally talk about the breakdown of their workday sometimes, and we say, "Well, just end a little early, or or tell your boss, or something, or wind down like a couple of hours before, and then maybe um, have a, take a break, like go to the gym, get yourself energized, you know, take a uh, take a shower, whatever it is, you know, to get into the mood and set the tone because." If you go home and you work yourself to the bone and you didn't sort of ration the energy because you didn't plan ahead and now you're just totally wiped out, you, you, you're just not going to be any good. You know, you don't have anything left in the tank to, to put into anyone. So I think that, you know, and that way sometimes they do like to work 
long hours and like to focus and things like that. So then that also leaves them room and freedom to be like, okay, you know what? On Thursday night, I get to work late. And, but you know what? Friday night, we were going on a date. And then everybody is happy because then the wives are just, or not, you know, I'm trying to uh, include everyone in that, like the spouses, you know, will will have like, okay, we can look forward to that Friday, you know, and not feel like, oh my gosh, where where is my partner? I never see them. And Yeah. And I think it, it helps to uh, bridge that gap between like sort of incongruent expectations, right? So, so, you know, one partner might be saying, oh, it's Friday night. And I know, oh, that's, you know, I'm done with work. And so when my partner gets home, we're going to be able to hang out, we'll go for that walk, or maybe we'll, you know, go out somewhere. And, and then that doesn't happen. <laughs> and then, right. So then everyone sort of feels a little let down because the other partner was like, oh, I, well, we didn't talk about that. I didn't know that that's what you wanted that you didn't say anything, right? So so you think we have a little bit of the mind reading thing happening or we think we can do that. Um, but right, that doesn't if we if we set some clear expectations and even if if sometimes we set date night and maybe date night doesn't happen <laughs> because maybe we are too tired or maybe um, you know, something else happens or we have kids and you know, then their attention, right? That some their needs kind of rise to the surface. Um, how do we then sort of debrief after that when maybe expectations that we did set, like we tried to be really mindful about it, but it it also didn't necessarily happen, right? Yeah, I mean, I really, you know, encourage my clients to, I think, over communicate, because especially the autistic partner, I say, if you feel like you're over communicating, then you might just be communicating, because that like, because their baseline is so low, because sometimes they even think they've said it, but they haven't, it just is in their mind. And they'd be like, wow, I never actually sent the text or actually, I, I don't. I don't know if I ever I said it, you know, and so I'll say, no, no, you have to be really super explicit. Um, and I have this young couple, for example, I've uh, been working with them for a few months now. Um, they absolutely uh, love, 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 like the explicit communication piece of it. And they've just learned, but they also see that as part of their intimacy sort of like if you want to be really close to someone and not have any barriers and full transparency, then that explicit communication is important and and you can't just intuit, you know, uh, because who, who can really mind read? And even if you did in the dating days or before kids, after kids, I think it's really hard to do that because you need like the, the space, right? Like to to sort of have that like energetic, you know, vibe going on and understanding. Yeah. yeah. I really like, I like that concept of using really, um, you know, detailed conversation and explicit conversation in all the different ways as sort of building that intimacy, because I, you know, I think, I don't think it's a surprise for anyone in relationship to know that communication is the key to any type of relationship that you're in. Um, and over communication, I think it's, you know, again, in my opinion, I feel like leaning more towards that over communication can only help you. You can always ratchet it back, right? Like if someone says, you know, I don't really need to know 
everything that you're doing when you are, you know, when you're not here with me, but, you know, a little bit like a high high level. But again, we're having that open dialogue so that we can better understand the other person. Um, And it does build that connection. It does build that intimacy. Um, So I think that's like a, that's like a really big key. So if, so I know there's lots of things out there, but if you were going to offer, you know, a couple, um, you know, uh, or, you know, people in relationship, what would you kind of offer up as, well, yeah, I really want to build up that communication. Like, how, how can I start doing that? Because I, I know there's like games and cards and all sorts of stuff out there, but but sometimes that feels, sometimes they don't make sense. I mean, I've kind of looked at some of it and it's like, oh, well, I don't know, this doesn't feel natural, right? It doesn't feel natural. So what would be your suggestion like to start having those kind of open dialogues? I think one is like um, time and space, you know, and by time, I mean, sort of you want to nail it down, put it on the calendar so that it actually happens. And there's an expectation that it's going to happen. Um, And then don't have any expectations of what that actually looks like, you know. And I think spaces, you know, I say create like an ambiance and create like an actual special nook or corner in your home or uh, that's that can be like your romantic space. That's sometimes helpful to sort of just you go there and then you just are like, oh, you know, Uh, but I know with little kids, because I have a little one that can be, you know, hard, hard to do. I think you just have to create those moments and carve them out. Because if you create the opportunity for it, the more likely it's going to happen. If you think it's going to happen in the hallway or around the kitchen or whatever, it may not. Because I think that uh, just things happen or things are moving too fast or there are chores to do or whatever. You know, some days you just have to be like, you know what? everything can wait all the little mundane stuff because there's just not enough time in the day to get all of it done anyway so you just have to be like you know what i'll prioritize um um you know this conversation because there's a book one of my clients just told me that work won't love you back or something like that (laughs) which i think is a great title for a book you know and i'm like yeah work will yeah it's so true you know and and uh so i think just having that balance you know and i think it's sometimes um it's like that uh those chinese um magic trick where it's like you're spinning all those plates all at the same time you know and then one slows down and so it's like the, there is no balance balance is a struggle it is like a practice it is like exercise you know marriage is a practice so it's like you're always having to juggle and be like oh oh that plate is slow down a bit so go go tend to the lawn or whatever i mean we're we're in springtime here in boston so that's where my mind is. But then it's like, okay, got to also have some time with the partner and some time with the children or whatever it is. So I think uh, just understanding that it is a balance and it is a struggle and not begrudging that, I think, that, gosh, it is a fight sometimes just to sit down and have a nice dinner and to have a nice 
chat, you know. I think what's most difficult for some of my clients is when they don't have a partner that knows how to carry on a conversation, like spontaneously back and forth. The cards and stuff can be useful for that. But sometimes then it's like if you put them on the spot to answer a question, it's like the processing time and things like that, you know. So sometimes I'll even say, hey, why don't you write a card of appreciation or something or go to, I don't know, uh, the store and get a card or uh, write a little thank you note, you know. Um, So that way it's not, doesn't have to be spontaneous. So sometimes I'll say, just sit with your partner and synchronize the breathing and just kind of um, just be there with them and, and just hold them. You don't have to like, try and think uh, what to say next for what they say, you know, you can listen as well because, but it has to be active listening, you know? Um, so I think that can be hard. Sometimes I had this one couple where I actually said to them uh, in your like romantic nook or con- corner, you could even have a pile of like joke books or something. I don't know, just pick up one and just read something to each other, read a paragraph. And that could be like an interesting jumping off point for a conversation, you know, because I think in a long-term relationship, even if you're um, not on the spectrum, you know, if neither partner is, uh, I think it can be hard to be like, okay, what do we talk about now? Or, you know, because uh, you are spending a lot, especially in the pandemic, you know, because here we are. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like that idea of setting up um, a space in your home or, you know, if there is another place, I know sometimes for us, it's been a car, right? Like you go and you go for a drive and have, especially now, right. In these last, this last year or so. Um, and that can be a really great place because there's no other distractions, right? Like nothing, even if you have a pet or something, sometimes that can yeah, be a distraction. Yeah. I say car or even, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I say, go on walks. Walks mm-hmm. are great. You know, if you like the water, go on a kayak or something. I don't know. Um, But a lot of my couples, they already like, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Go ahead. I like, I like, I like what you're saying. No, I think, I think creating like fun too. But I think a lot of my couples, they enjoy, like what brings them together many times is their special interest. But then over time, sometimes that falls off, you know. And then it's been harder in the pandemic because a lot of my couples, they love to travel together. That's when they really come together, you know. Um, So that has been hard. Um, But I guess, you know, you just have to um, do your best, whether it's a backyard (laughs) picnic or whatever. Or, you you know, something... Another thing like, you know, planning the travel, right? So like, what would it look like when, when we, when we can be, um, you know, more open and then we're sort of starting to see that that could be a potential soon. So it's like, oh, let's try planning something and, or we could do a virtual tour of a location or, you know, different things. There's been so many new um, technologies that have been put into place that I think are really useful no matter you know, not just now, but I think will be really helpful to kind of do that previewing of um, where you'd like to go next. So, so that could be another idea, but I really like um, 
the idea of thinking of creating like this little bag of, of tricks, so to speak, where it's like, oh, why don't we try the joke book? Or why don't we read from, you know, a poetry book or listen to some music together or, you know, whatever that is. Oh, yeah. Um, or play checkers or, mm-hmm. you know, chess or um, a board game or, yeah, like I think th- those types of things. And also, and that way, even while you're doing it, a conversation could happen, you know. Um, so it doesn't have to be um, something that's, uh, I don't know, like, and I think losing the expectation on what that looks like and practicing anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably a good place to, to pause is, you know, kind of letting go of expectations and um, practicing anyway, I think. Uh, showing up, right? So I think showing up is the biggest piece. And I often think when people are even willing to just do the work, right, and and willing to try, that's like a big, that's probably like the biggest thing. So, um, so I like this, I like that this was sort of really more about like communication and building that intimacy kind of piece. Um, you know, I think we probably have to maybe come back together at another point and kind of pick another little topic that could be, uh, that I think could be helpful for people. Yeah. One, actually, um, one of my pet peeves sometimes with a lot of people on the spectrum is like trust, you know, because sometimes like they'll get into an argument with their partner over, oh, I said this, they said that. And they'll be like, well, but I, you know, and I'm like, but you didn't pick like this terrible person who's out to get you. You pick like this really sweet, kind, decent person uh, and they're not out to get you. So you have to trust what they're saying. And because for you, if you're on the spectrum, you do have a deficit with social communication. I mean, that's what characterizes autism, you know? So I feel like um, you, it's almost like being grateful that, wow, you have this person who can translate and who's more of an expert in this emotional social communication area. And that can guide me and, you know, sh- like lead me a little bit, you know? So I say, yeah, don't, don't always uh, trust your brain just because it's brilliant, obviously, in all these other ways, you know? And that can be a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of them. But I think that they they get there eventually. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's true. And even also when you get into a, a like a place of, you know, anxiety or whatever, no matter, you know, what what uh, what spectrum you're on. <laughs> um, right. You, you can't always trust the messaging that's coming through. You have to sort of look to a neutral kind of observer. And, and I I love, I love how you said that. It's like, well, you didn't pick someone that was like this mean, horrible person. So why are you assuming that that's where they're coming from? Because that's, that's not likely the case, right? We're talking, it's probably just miscommunication or missed expectations or something else. Um, And to, to use that as a way to kind of put things on the side. So um, I, I can totally appreciate that. So, yeah, um, and sometimes uh, I, I'll, say, I'll say this and then I'll keep, be, you know, we can end. But uh, sometimes I say therapy is like a facilitated date. Like, because <laughs> you know? yeah. my husband and I started in the pandemic and that's what I see it as. I'm like, oh, goody, I get to spend time with him. But it's like a facilitated dialogue, you know. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm probably going to put that in the description because I think it's, that's a really good way to, to first um, make it less of a, a scary, like daunting thing. Right. And also um, really put a positive spin on it. Right. Yes. It's like you're carving out the time to, to be together. Right. And to, yes, have this sort of neutral, person there. Um, so use it as that, use it as your, you know, facilitated, your facilitated date. Um, and then usually right after that, I'm, I'm guessing, I know at least has been my experiences, you know, afterwards, then you can have some really more really good conversations, right? Like cause things come up and then you're like, Oh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Or I didn't know you thought that, or I didn't know, you know, that was, um, that was important to you. So let's, Let's talk more about that. So, um, yeah, again, really demystifying this whole therapy thing and making it really a safe place for people to kind of just be um, and be present and practice active listening. So definitely. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. much fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, definitely love to chat again and um, we'll bring we'll bring some more goodies to our listeners. Yes, absolutely. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh. And if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com. And when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.